Pastor Walls, I usually give a quarter to the guys who bring the pulpit up, and I didn't get to, so I, that quarter's for you. As Tina Fey says in the commercial, it's about to happen. Oh. It's about to happen. <sighs> you all know what this is. Fill in the blank. It is a. You know what this is. It is a book. What do these have in common? No, they're not both canonical. Okay. Uh, uh, but what they both have in common uh, is each is a book. We shouldn't forget that. Commonly, you can recognize that. It's a book. The Bible also is a book. Um, we take books for granted, and we think that they've always been with us. And because some English translations wrongly render a couple of Hebrew and Greek words as book, we may get the idea that Moses had books, David had books, the prophets had books, Jeremiah had books. They did not have books. And I'm not really talking about printed books, which has only been with us since the 15th century. I'm talking about a book that is defined as pages in there, sewn together at the end with covers usually, and that you turn like this one page or leaf at a time. It might be shocking to some of you to know that in the biblical times, people did not have books. And as I said, despite the fact that a couple of popular translations, particularly in America, will oftentimes translate these words as book, we may get the idea that uh, Moses, maybe not when he came down from Mount Sinai, but later on, carried a book under his arm of Genesis through Deuteronomy. He did not. The Bible and other, quote, books, other writings, were written on scrolls. Those scrolls might be made of an Egyptian uh, reed material, uh, known as papyrus, uh, a bit more substantial and longer living were books that were written on parchment. Parchment uh, is animal skin, obviously treated, <laughs> the hair removed, uh, careful to write on the side that the hair was not on, the smoothest side. Those were scrolls. And it's good for us to think about that when we think of the gift that the Masters University and the Biblical Studies Department is receiving today. We are receiving a scroll. Books as we know them, sewn together on the edge, 
weren't invented till the second century A.D. There are some ancient books. We have facsimiles of two books, the oldest complete Greek Bibles, Old and New Testament. We have facsimiles of those, uh, color facsimiles, in our Bible department. We have a 1542 Latin Bible that's a book, right? We receive today, however, our first scroll. And there's a connection between this scroll and biblical times. Because when people read works of literature, be they sacred or secular, they were on rolls. Uh, usually we use another term, scrolls, when uh, they are turned like that. So the ancient term was a roll or a scroll. That's what, quote, books, unquote, were like in biblical uh, times. We have the entire Bible, Genesis through Revelation, within the pages of this book. It's easy to take it for granted how handy it is. Can you imagine uh, 12 to 15 scrolls, maybe the size of the one that is before me? Uh, can you imagine taking that to synagogue? They didn't. <laughs> you would need a wheelbarrow, a, a wheelbarrow to take your, quote, Bible, unquote, to church in the first and second century A.D. You didn't do that. It took a while with the advent of the book structure uh, in the second, third, and fourth century to have that. And still, and you can see in our cabinet, Codex Vaticanus, uh, the entire Greek Bible, you wouldn't really be carrying that to church either. And so, in the ancient church, these biblical books were read to congregations. Uh, and usually, Christians had a portion of the New Testament on a scroll or maybe in a book form. But before the second century A.D., the Old Testament books and the original New Testament, quote, books, unquote, works of literature, were written on papyrus and possibly also on parchment. Um, let me read to you a couple of passages from the Old and New Testament, and I'm reading from a version that correctly translates these words as scrolls, not as books. I'm going to read from Jeremiah 36, a very dramatic chapter in Jeremiah that has to do with recording how a biblical work of literature, uh, the book of Jeremiah, was written on a scroll, how that scroll was destroyed and burned, and how it was writ rewritten on a scroll. It's a very dramatic chapter. Actually, the word scroll appears 73 times in uh, these two translations, Christian Standard Bible and the uh, New International Version, 50 times in the Old Testament and 23 times in the New Testament. I'm just going to read from three passages. Jeremiah 36. Now, if you're following me along and I'm skipping verses, 
I am, I'm only reading the verses where the word scroll is mentioned. Jeremiah 36, 4. So Jeremiah summoned Baruch, son of Neriah. At Jeremiah's dictation, Baruch wrote on a scroll all the words the Lord had spoken to Jeremiah. Here's a unique window that we have into the writing of a biblical book, quote unquote. Jeremiah dictates and Baruch writes on a scroll. Verse 6, so you must go and read from the scroll which you wrote at my dictation, the words of the Lord in the hearing of the people at the temple of the Lord on a day of fasting. So here we have the scroll of Jeremiah and someone reading to the people in, in the temple from the scroll. Verse 8. So Baruch, son of Neriah, did everything that Jeremiah the prophet had commanded him. At the Lord's temple, he read the Lord's words from the scroll. Verse 10. Then at the Lord's temple, Baruch read Jeremiah's words from the scroll. When Micaiah, son of Gemariah, son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, verse 13, Micaiah reported to them all the words he had heard Baruch read, read from the scroll in the hearing of the people. Then all the officials sent word to Baruch, saying, Bring the scroll that you read in the hearing of the people, and come. So Baruch, son of Neriah, took the scroll and went to them. Verse 18, Baruch said to them, At his dictation, Jeremiah recited all these words to me while I was writing on the scroll in ink. There's another uh, component of a scroll. The rabbinic Jewish laws for the writing of a scroll are very strict, and you even have to use a correct type of ink. So, uh, here's all the references to the writing of a uh, biblical scroll right here in Jeremiah 36. Even the ink. Ask me afterwards what makes up kosher ink, and I'll tell you. Verse 20, then they came to the king at the courtyard, having deposited the scroll in the chamber of Elisha the scribe and reported everything in the hearing of the king. The king sent Jehudi to get the scroll and he took it from the chamber of Elisha the scribe. Jehudi then read it in the hearing of the king and all the officials who were standing by the king. Wow, great opportunity for the king to hear the words of the living God. How how is he going to respond to this word from God? Whoa. Keep reading. Verse uh, 23. As soon as Jehudi would read three or four columns, when you come up here afterwards, you can see one, two, three columns on the scroll. When, uh, uh, when he read two or three columns, did the king repent and rejoice? Jehoiakim would cut the scroll with a scribe's knife and throw the columns into the blazing fire until the entire scroll was consumed by the fire in the brazier. Instead of heeding and responding positively to this, he says, I don't want to hear this. And he cuts up this precious scroll and throws it in the fireplace. Verse 25. 
Even though Elnathan, Deliah, and Gemariah had urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. After the king had burned the scroll with the words Baruch had written at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, take another scroll and write upon it the very words that were on the original scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned. You are to proclaim concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is what the Lord says. You have burned the scroll, saying, Why have you written on it? The king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause it to be without man or beast. You see, when Jehoiakim heard that the message of Jeremiah written on the scroll was judgment and that the king uh, was going to be attacked by uh, the king of Babylon, he says, Well, I'll prevent that from happening. So he just cuts up the scroll. <laughs> yeah. Verse 32. Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Baruch, son of Neriah, the scribe, and he wrote on it at Jeremiah's dictation all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, Judah's king, had burned in the fire. And many other words like them were added. And we have that, quote, book, unquote, the book of Jeremiah, Originally written on a scroll. Skip to the New Testament. Jesus comes home. I remember when I came home to preach at my home church for the very first time, Harry. To me, I was not, to them, I was not William Varner. I was Billy Varner. Ah, oh, Billy Varner. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they had in the bulletin that day, Harry, we are happy to welcome Billy Varner to our pulpit today. A little loss of dignity there. I had prepared thoroughly, and I got up and I prepared my 30-minute message. And at 14 minutes, I ran out of things to say. And so I said the pastor will close in prayer. And while every head bowed and every eye closed, I left the platform, went out on the back steps, and cried. Thank you, girls. Oh. <laughs> the guys laughed. Yeah, they... oh. A deacon found me and brought me around to the front of the church, and they comforted me, and I found out that they weren't disappointed in a 14-minute sermon. They thought that was a good idea. Anyway, <laughs> a lot of emotion, a lot of emotion before the home crowd. Jesus is given a scroll to read. Luke 4, 17. He's in home synagogue. He's given a scroll to read. A holy scroll. A scroll that contains Isaiah's prophecy. Verse 17 and verse 20. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. And then there's a quotation from Isaiah 61. Verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. In synagogue, every Shabbat, every Sabbath, they have an unrolled scroll like this. And they read the three or four or five columns. They have spindles on here. And then they advance it to the next uh, uh, text. And afterwards, they fold it together, as we're going to do a little bit later on. 
and put it away. Jesus rolled up the scroll, handed it to the chazan, would be called in Hebrew, uh, the, uh, sort of like a cantor, and they put it away. And he said, today, these words are fulfilled in your ears. It was a scroll similar to this. Rolled up, rolled out. Fast forward 65, 66, who knows, 67 A.D., maybe 65, Paul's in prison. And like William Tyndale would later say in a letter, would you bring me my Hebrew Bible and my Hebrew dictionary and also a coat because I'm cold in prison? The Apostle Paul said, bring me some DVDs, man. No, no. <laughs> Got to pass the time. No. 2 Timothy 4.13. What did he ask for? A book? Some translations have books. No. 2 Timothy 4.13. When you come, bring the cloak. Just like William Tyndale asked for a coat. Bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. These may have been biblical scrolls and biblical parchments. The scrolls here were probably written on papyrus, and the parchments were written on sheepskin or calfskin. Paul wanted the scrolls. On your own, read Revelation 5, 1 to 9, eight times it says that a scroll is in the hand of a mighty angel. This is what we are talking about. Scrolls. And we have a scroll today that we're very excited about. You probably caught that enthusiasm. My colleague and facilitator, one of the facilitators who helped us to receive the scroll is going to come in a minute and tell you a little bit more about the story of the scroll. Let me just say, it's opened to Exodus chapter 15. Three columns are revealed here. Uh, Exodus, uh, remember you're reading from right to left, so remember that when you come up and read it, students, okay? Uh, uh, you're reading from right to left, and here is where it ends in uh, Exodus 14. Exodus 14 what? The crossing of the Red Sea. And here we have a beautiful uh, display of the Shir Hayam, the song of the sea, as it's called. The song that uh, Miriam and Moses and the children of Israel sang. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. The Lord, my God, my strength in song, and now has become my victory. Thank you, Lord. And it is here in a special uh, arrangement, same font, same scribe, but he has arranged it in a poetic way, very beautiful. And I want you to notice when you come up here, a hole, a hole in the scroll, patched with parchment from the back. I'm glad that this scroll is not pristine and perfect. I'm glad that it's got smudges. I'm glad that it's got holes repaired. I'm glad it's got, so a scribe says, oh, you yeah, know, I think I got, I got the wrong letter there. 
washed it and write on uh, uh, the fresh letter. I'm glad of that. You know why I'm glad of it? This was a scroll that was used. It was used by a Jewish congregation. I don't know all that Brian's going to say. Uh, probably in Germany. And then it survived a time when the Nazis were destroying Jews and destroying synagogues and destroying scrolls. We don't know all the story, but it was rescued and it was taken to the land of Israel afterwards. And we now have it in our possession. Is it a holy relic? No. You won't get 23 years out of purgatory by coming up and looking at it. <laughs> it's not a holy relic, but we do want to respect it and honor it and honor the people who preserved it, maybe even giving up their lives for it. Uh, so thank you, Lord, and thank you to the generous donors who have made us the recipients of this scroll of the Torah from Genesis to Deuteronomy. I'd like to introduce my friend, former professor here, uh, now professor in Arkansas, Brian Rickett. The journey of this particular scroll uh, was about a two-year process. And so I wanted to tell you some about the, the historical significance of this particular item, the religious significance, the cultural significance. And I have about 15 minutes max to do that, probably 10 minutes. Uh, I understand that later on we'll get to have a more in-depth discussion about it. But, but this particular item, 2 o'clock he says, this particular item was on uh, a journey of about two years in order to get to this institution. About a year ago, uh, some friends of mine who, one of their, their things they really enjoy doing are uh, to place scrolls at institutions like this around the country, and they've placed over 30 scrolls in institutions. At the time that I had this particular conversation, no scroll had gone to a college or undergraduate uh, institution. They were all going to uh, seminaries to graduate institutions, and my institution was the first one to receive two. And on that day, one of the donors came to me and he said, could you make a list of other institutions that would treasure scrolls and that had faculty that would utilize them in the way that you guys use them? And in that moment, only a couple of institutions came to mind. One of them was this one. But it was a college, a university at the time. I'm not sure that it was a college yet. It was still called a university. It was still called a college. So that began to sort of bounce around in my mind. But about the same time, another man who ultimately became the donor of this scroll, he was independently thinking of the Master's College, Master's University. And together we started having some conversations with our friends. And one thing led to another. This went through a process of about a year of evaluation, uh, analysis. It's, it's been digitized. Uh, it's been carefully documented, studied. There's a spreadsheet that Dr. Varner has that has all the unique features listed in there. 
So dozens of eyes looked at this particular one to prepare it to be donated to a special institution. And when given the opportunity, this was the number one, number two, somewhere around there institution that came to my mind. So together with the Master Seminary, the two together is, are only the second institution to receive two of these from my friends. Uh, my own institution being the first one of those. We have three colleges. None of those colleges have a scroll, but this one is about to receive a scroll. This journey for me probably started about 20 years ago. 1996, I was a first-year seminary student, a Hebrew student, and we were studying things in our Hebrew Bible that uh, didn't quite make sense to me. Uh, there were things in the margin, there were things underneath, things above, things written in the text. And these were notations put there by a special group of people known as the Masoretes. And these notations referred to things that would happen to the scroll. And the Masoretes, the, the Masoretes produced uh, rules and uh, helps for the production of a scroll because it's not kosher to use a book in synagogue. So they use scrolls. So these guidelines are for the production of these scrolls. So I wanted to know more about this. These references were outside of my Christian experience and Christian tradition. So I went to a synagogue. I went to Bali Beth Shalom uh, over in Encino. I was at the Master Seminary. A friend of mine went with me. We went down there. And let me tell you what I witnessed there and show you how that relates to this particular item. We walked in, and once the service began, on the back wall where in a Baptist church you would see a baptistry, there were these metal containers on the wall. Those things are called arcs. They were sterling silver. And a time came when one of these sterling silver containers was lowered down off the wall. Inside that sterling silver container was one of these, a Sefer Torah or Torah scroll. And they took that thing off the wall and began to parade it around the perimeter of the sanctuary. And as they did, people were shouting, they were clapping, they were dancing, the women were walking over and kissing their prayer shawl and touching the ark that the scroll was in. When they got it around to the front, they took the scroll out of the ark and they put a crown on it. They put a crown on the scroll. And in short order, the cantor uh, sang, chanted from the scroll, the rabbi taught from it. This was an extraordinary experience. So let me explain to you why that happened and what that means. In AD 69, Jews had in common a central place of worship. There was a, a temple in Jerusalem. They had in common a language. Uh, they had in common a land. They had in common a religious system. They had many things in common. But when AD 70 happened, the temple was destroyed and the Jews were dispersed. And over the next couple of thousand years, they went further and further and further away from Israel. So then you had Jewish synagogues springing up in Latin America. Uh, you had them that sprang up in the West, in Germany, in Russia, uh, and places like that. All over the world, synagogues spread out. So here's what was happening. When I saw those Jewish people place that crown on the Torah, here's what that meant. When they were dispersed, they no longer had all that centralized uh, experience in common but they had one thing in common the Torah is the constitution of the ancient nation of Israel but in particular Deuteronomy 
So their king produced a constitution for them, and that king is invisible. That king is the king of the universe. And when they put that crown on there, this was a physical reminder that this was the constitution for the ancient nation of Israel given to them by their immortal, invisible king. And that experience unites Jewish people all over the world. Now, the reason why this particular scroll has come to be here is that around 1938 and thereafter, the, the events connected to the Holocaust, Jews became heavily persecuted. In 1938, in a pair of nights, a couple of nights in November, known as Kristallnacht, or Crystal Night, or Night of the Broken Glass, 800 Jewish synagogues were destroyed. A thousand scrolls were burned or destroyed in Germany and in the lands around Germany, the nations around Germany. A lot of these were destroyed. The reason why this exists is because there were survivors, there were refugees, there were people who risked their own lives to save the most valuable pr uh, uh, prize that they had, the treasure that they had. That was their Torah scroll. It takes about a year to a year and a half to produce one of these. It costs nowadays $60,000 approximately. And the process of producing it is extremely tedious. They write about eight lines per hour. They look at the letter, they, they look at <coughs> the, the manuscript, the parchment, then they check back the original. They look back at the place where they're gonna write the letter, they pray. Then they look back at the letter they're gonna transmit back at the place where they're gonna write it, and they write it. And they repeat that sort of a process until they produce one of these Torah scrolls. So these Torah scrolls, many of them made it back to Israel. And the people who sang and danced and kissed their shawls and touched the ark, those congregations, those people are dead. They no longer exist. And in many cases, these scrolls are the singular surviving witness to a synagogue and to a community of people that were wiped out in mass heinous persecutions of Jewish people. So these are treasures for a number of different reasons. Culturally, they're treasures. Uh, one like this, based upon analysis, would have survived uh, an event like Kristallnacht, uh, the Holocaust in some way. It made it to Israel, and now an institution like the Masters University is a custodian of this. Uh, that sort of mass tragedy never needs to happen again. But not only are we guardians of these resources for cultural, historical, religious purposes, but they are teaching instruments for us. And so this scroll, we began uh, a trip back to this continent, and that took about a two-year process. And so our benefactors have identified institutions that are uniquely worthy to receive these particular artifacts. And this, after a period of some year of discussion, the Masters University was identified as, uh, as a place worthy to receive one of these treasures. So this is a very significant thing. And I'm particularly glad to get to be here because I consider Masters my institution. Uh, they, you have given so much to my wife and to me. Uh, my wife has an MABC from here. Uh, I was able to teach in the counseling department and biblical studies department for a time. I graduated from the Masters Seminary a couple of times. So the Masters people are uh, my people, you're my people, and I'm really glad to be able to
be part of presenting you with this scroll. So I'm going to ask Dr. Varner, uh, Dr. Chow, uh, the men that were part of that, uh, uh, that team who are going to receive it uh, to come forward. Masters, Masters University, would you stand please and let us dedicate this gift to the Lord and to his glory on behalf of our president and the Masters University, Dr. Rickett, and to the benefactor, we're so grateful. And we say that's the sincerest thanks for the trust this represents, the honor that it represents, and we look forward to the way this instrument will be used to honor our Lord and to advance his kingdom. Thank you very much. Let's pray together. Father, we do acknowledge today that your law is perfect. You are a God who reveals. You reveal through creation the sun in all of its strength from end to end without words reveals your glory. And then, Lord, so specifically and so beautifully, you have revealed yourself in the written word. It restores the soul. It makes wise the simple. Lord, we are so grateful. It's sweeter than the honey in the honeycomb. It's, it's more valuable. It's more to be desired than any gold, even much fine gold, and there's profit in it. For by your word, your self-revelation, Lord, your servant is warned. And in keeping your word, there's great reward. We are grateful. Thank you for this treasure. Thank you for the ones who have preserved it, provided it, protected it, now gifted it. And Lord, we as an institution are honored to receive it. And Lord, we don't worship it. We worship the one who gave it. Lord, we want it to be leveraged, to bear witness to the beauty and the wonder of a God who communicates not only his love for us, but his will for us, and who reveals his glory to us. Lord, thank you for the living word, your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law. Thank you for the fulfilling that is yet to come. And Lord, we dedicate this scroll to your glory. We dedicate this scroll to be used for your honor in this place. And we ded our, dedicate ourselves in honor of the king who gave this constitution. Let us not just our heart to have it and to study it, but to live it. So God, gratefully today, grateful for those who have invested so much in the treasure that we now possess and steward. We want to be good stewards. And we dedicate this to you and to your son. And we ask the Holy Spirit in his indwelling to make our lives his treasure. Amen. 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 Amen.